Our case summaries this week contain three cases on criminal law, one from the Arkansas Supreme Court and two from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Tilson v. State, 2023, ARC 127, the Arkansas Supreme Court denied a petition for writ of certiorari and rejected petitioner's arguments that the juvenile court retained exclusive jurisdiction to try him. The issue arose following the state filing a motion nola prosequa in juvenile division of circuit court and later refiling this case in the adult division. The defendant then sought the extraordinary petition in the Supreme Court. A second argument in this case was there was a violation of speedy trial guarantees, but it was unavailing because there was no objection at the time of the state's nolpros. Judge Hudson explained, quote, Here, the prosecution initially chose to file a delinquency petition against Tilson in the juvenile division. After the order was entered granting the prosecution's motion to nolpros the petition, the state later filed charges in the criminal division. Unlike in CH v. State, 2010 ARC 279, or Webb v. State, 318 ARC 581, there was no order to transfer entered in this case, whereby the criminal division had relinquished jurisdiction. Furthermore, the juvenile division's order to nolpros dismissed the allegations in the December 2018 delinquency petition. CEG State v. CW, 374 ARC 116, stating that an order granting a motion to nolpros is a final order that dismisses the charges and terminates the case. Thus, the juvenile division did not retain jurisdiction over the charges at issue. While Tilson points to language in the order to nolpros indicating that the juvenile division's previous orders remain in full force and effect and to a later order from that court discharging him from probation, it is clear from the record that these refer to a prior delinquency petition that was unrelated to the conduct in this case and that remained pending when the December 2018 petition was filed. Accordingly, the circuit court does not lack jurisdiction of this case, and Tilson is not entitled to extraordinary relief on this basis. Tilson next contends that the circuit court erred in denying his motion to dismiss for a violation of his right to a speedy trial under Arkansas Rule of Criminal Procedure 28.1. He argues that he was not brought to trial within 12 months of his original December 16, 2018 arrest. He also claims that the time from the entry of the order to Nalpras on February 8, 2019, until his second arrest on March 4, 2021, should not be excluded from the speedy trial calculation because the state has not shown that the delay resulted from his conduct or that the order to Nalpras was for good cause. We have held that an order denying a motion to dismiss based on a speedy trial violation may be subject to review through a petition for writ of certiorari. Pursuant to Rule 28.1, a defendant must be brought to trial within 12 months of arrest, excluding only such periods of necessary delay as are authorized in Rule 28.3, Arkansas Rule of Criminal Procedure 28.1c. Rule 28.3f provides that the time between a dismissal or nola prosequi 
upon motion of the prosecuting attorney for good cause shown, and the time the charge is later filed for the same offense is excluded in computing the time for speedy trial. Arkansas Rule of Criminal Procedure 28.3F Because more than 12 months have passed since Tilson's initial arrest, the state admits that he has made a prima facie case of a speedy trial violation. However, the state asserts that Tilson's argument that it lacked good cause to nullpross the delinquency petition and that the time period between February 7, 2019 and March 4, 2021 is not excluded is not preserved for our review. We agree. At the adjudication hearing, the prosecutor moved to nullpross the delinquency petition after learning that a continuance would not be granted. The circuit court stated that it was not going to say it's anybody's fault, but the state was not ready to try the case. The court then cautioned Tilson that the state had one year to refile the charges after they were dismissed. Tilson did not object to the dismissal or argue that the state did not have good cause. End of quote. A concurrence written by Justice Wood added, quote, I write separately because I am troubled by this case. The ability to null pross a case in the juvenile division and refile in the criminal division to avoid the transfer hearing process gives the state a tremendous advantage. I encourage the General Assembly to consider if this was its intention. The General Assembly has given the state the discretion to charge a juvenile in either the juvenile division or criminal division of circuit court if the juvenile is over 16 and has committed a felony. Art Code and Section 927-318-C1. Yet the General Assembly has also provided a method for the transfer of cases between divisions and for that to be determined by the judge after a hearing and a weighing of factors. The factors and procedure established by the General Assembly appear deliberate and thorough. Id Section 927-318-G listing 10 factors the circuit court must consider when deciding whether to transfer. The statutory scheme does not imply the General Assembly intended for transfer hearings to occur solely from the criminal division to the juvenile division. Yet the state is not prohibited from procedurally doing what it did here and avoiding the transfer process. End of quote. End of case. In Walton v. State, 2023, ARC App 409, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed convictions for extreme emotional disturbance manslaughter and tampering with physical evidence in a case where decedent died from multiple knife wounds. Defendant attempted to wipe away fingerprints. The Court of Appeals upheld the trial court ruling in excluding evidence showing the presence of cocaine in the victim. Judge Gruber wrote, Failure to preserve arguments on sufficiency. Defendant's argument to insufficiency of the evidence was not preserved. Quote, In order to preserve challenges to the sufficiency of the evidence supporting convictions for lesser-included offenses, defendants must address the lesser-included offenses either by name or by apprising the circuit court of the elements of the lesser-included offenses. Grillet v. State, 353 Art 294-304. Walton's directed verdict motion initially addressed only first-degree murder. End of quote. A colloquy between counsel and the court stated, quote, The court, 
My understanding of the law is to preserve an argument relating to the sufficiency of the evidence that you would have to contemplate any lesser included instructions, and if you're making a professional judgment that you don't think that the motion is in order for the potential instruction of murder to or manslaughter, then I certainly respect that. I just do not want that to be overlooked if that was counsel. No, it wasn't overlooked. End of quote. The opinion explains, quote, After the court denied the motion on first-degree murder as well as a later motion on second-degree murder, which was made after the initial colloquy above, defense counsel stated, I am not making a motion on manslaughter. Because appellant failed to move for a directed verdict on manslaughter, any argument regarding the sufficiency of evidence to sustain the conviction is not preserved. Exclusion of toxicology report showing presence of illegal drugs in victim. On appeal, Walton argues that the circuit court improperly excluded the toxicology report. Specifically, he contends that the report, which showed that Voiles tested positive for cocaine, corroborates his statement to police that the victim smoked marijuana and drugs from a soda can before trying to sexually assault him and supports his justification defense. Evidence of a victim's intoxication or drug use at the time of death is generally irrelevant to the defendant's claim of justification. The evidence may only be relevant if the defendant knew the victim was using drugs or alcohol or if the victim's behavior was such that the defendant could have reasonably inferred that the victim was under the influence. In Stanton v. State, 2020, ARC 418, the Supreme Court stated that it had previously upheld the exclusion of an autopsy report showing a victim's cocaine use because there was no evidence showing that cocaine was linked to the murder. Id, citing Jones v. State, 340 ARC 390-396-97. 396-97. Because the defense was unable to show that the cocaine use prompted the killing, the trial court did not err in ruling that the probative value of the evidence was far outweighed by its prejudicial nature. End of quote. End of decision. Davis v. State, 2023 ARC App 403. The Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed the conviction of a police officer for negligent homicide following a shooting in which defendant thought the victim was reaching for a gun in the traffic stop. It turns out the victim was removing a bottle of automotive coolant from the truck bed. Quote, a Lone Oak County jury convicted appellate Michael Davis of negligent homicide, and he was sentenced to serve one year in the county jail and ordered to pay a $1,000 fine. On appeal, Davis argues that the trial court erred in refusing to give non-model jury instructions on the definition of negligently and on the so-called Graham v. Connor, 490 U.S. 386, standard. Davis also argues that the trial court erred in not admitting all opinions by his expert witness. We affirm. The jury was instructed on both manslaughter and negligent homicide, as well as on the defense of justification with respect to the charge of manslaughter. The jury acquitted Davis of manslaughter, but found him guilty of negligent homicide. End of quote. Arguments on appeal centered on whether the jury should have been instructed that defendants' actions must be examined from the viewpoint of a reasonable law enforcement officer. 
A second argument was whether the trial court should have excluded an expert's opinion as to whether defendant used excessive force. In affirming, Judge Verdon explained, Reasonable Law Enforcement Officer The model instruction given in this case stated, quote, The term negligently, as used in this criminal case, means more than it does in civil cases. To prove negligence in a criminal case, the state must show beyond a reasonable doubt that Michael Davis should have been aware of a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the death would occur. The risk must have been of such a nature and degree that his failure to perceive it, considering the nature and purpose of his conduct and the circumstances known to him, involved a gross deviation from the standard of care that a reasonable person would have observed in his situation. Because the model instruction tracked the language of the statute, it was a correct statement of the law. We note that there is no special section in the criminal code on negligent homicide when it is committed by a law enforcement officer, and that there is no separate definition for the state of mind negligently when a law enforcement officer is involved. We cannot say that the trial court abused its discretion in refusing to give Davis's proffered instruction when the instruction that was given accurately stated the law. End of quote. A second jury instruction argument, to include reference to a law enforcement officer in connection with his justification defense, failed because the defendant did not raise that defense regarding negligent homicide, so it was not preserved. Quote, second, Davis argues that the trial court erred in rejecting his proffered non-model jury instructions with regard to the use of deadly force by law enforcement officers, i.e. the justification defense. He argues that the trial court's failure to give its instructions based on the Graham v. Connor standard improperly eliminated any consideration of the perspective of a law enforcement officer on the scene. Davis's proposed instructions on the Graham v. Connor standard were proffered only in connection with the charge of manslaughter, of which Davis was acquitted. Because Davis did not seek a justification instruction with respect to negligent homicide, his argument is not preserved for appellate review. End of quote. In a footnote, the opinion explained Graham, quote, Graham's Supra was a Section 1983 civil rights action in which the United States Supreme Court held that all claims that law enforcement have used excessive force, deadly or not, in the course of an arrest, investigatory stop, or other seizure of a free citizen are properly analyzed under the Fourth Amendment's objective reasonableness standard rather than under a substantive due process standard. The Supreme Court also said that the reasonableness of a particular use of force must be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene rather than with the 2020 vision of hindsight. The calculus of reasonableness must embody allowance for the fact that police officers are often forced to make split-second judgments in circumstances that are tense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving about the amount of force that is necessary in a particular situation. End of quote. Exclusion of experts' opinion to excessive force. A second issue was whether the trial court erred in excluding part of the defendant's expert witness opinion. The trial court excluded the expert's opinion about whether defendant used excessive force. However, it allowed the remainder. 
There was no error because an expert's opinion may not invade the province of the jury. Quote, because Corbett's initial report and his anticipated testimony mandated a legal conclusion and told the jury how to resolve factual questions, we hold that the trial court did not abuse its discretion in excluding them. If the opinion testimony mandates a legal conclusion or tells the jury what to do, the testimony should be excluded. Rogers v. State, 2022, ARC App 388. In any event, Davis cannot show prejudice from the ruling excluding Corbett's initial report and anticipated testimony given that he was ultimately acquitted of manslaughter. End of quote. Judge Hickson, who wrote a concurring opinion, added that Graham v. Connor was in action under 42 U.S.C. section 1983, and criminal prosecutions in Arkansas followed this state's law, so the instruction contained in the AMCI must follow state law. But, quote, the state argues that Davis's proposed modification is a moot point because the model instruction states that the standard of care is judged from what a reasonable person would have observed in his situation. And in this case, Davis's situation was that of a police officer making a traffic stop. However, I beg to disagree. There are two contrasting jury instructions that come into play here. First, the jury is instructed that the jury is to apply the law as contained in these instructions to the facts and render your verdict upon the evidence and the law. See AMI Criminal 2nd 101C. Then, in virtually the next breath, the court is instructed that arguments of counsel are not evidence but are made only to help you in understanding the evidence and the applicable law. See AMI Criminal 2nd 101F. The appellant's closing argument that the jury should view the defendant's conduct as a reasonable person would have observed in his situation, which the jury could ignore, does not carry the same weight as the judge instructing the jury to view the defendant's conduct as a matter of law as a reasonable law enforcement officer would have observed in his situation. Those are strikingly different statements that could affect a jury of his peers in deliberations. I further agree with the majority's holding that Davis's proposed jury instruction on justification is not preserved for review because, although justification was raised as a defense to manslaughter, it was not raised as a defense to negligent homicide. However, I submit that, even had this issue been preserved, we would likely be constrained to affirm on this issue as well. The model jury instruction, AMI Criminal 2nd 708, derives directly from Art Code and Section 52610B2 and states that a law enforcement officer may use deadly physical force upon another person when he reasonably believes that it is necessary to defend himself from what he reasonably believes to be the use or immediate use of deadly force. Although Davis contends that language should be added to this model instruction to the effect that the reasonableness of an officer's actions must be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer, he is again asking for an additional provision that is simply not included in the statute as enacted. End of quote. The concurrence suggested that the legislative branch should visit this issue. End of decision.